What a privilege to be in the house of God this morning. Thank the Lord for the privilege, opportunity to gather together and assemble in the house of the Lord this morning. There are several uh, that are sick, and uh, so that's why one of the reasons that the number's down, others have uh, other things going on and things they're dealing with, situations with family and other things, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad the Lord knew who would be here uh, before we ever gather together this morning. And He already made plans and preparations for the service this morning for us. And I hope that you've made preparations in your own heart and that we've come to seek the Lord and to get whatever it is that He would have for us in the service today. appreciate all the prayers uh, while we were gone this week uh, in meeting and thank the Lord for the help there. And uh, the church seemed to get help. Uh, Numerous people said they did. The pastor said he got help. And I'm grateful to the Lord for doing that. It wasn't because I was there or anything in me is all the work of God. And I'm grateful for the Lord's help. And I'm glad He is a very present help in trouble. I thought about that verse a lot this week. What may be trouble to you may not necessarily be trouble to me. But I'm glad there's help in the Lord in our times of trouble. And I thank the Lord for it. I'm grateful uh, for the privilege to gather together and good to see each one of you here this morning in the house of God. If you have a copy of the Word of God this morning, want to turn along with us in the Scripture. We'll be in the book of Esther this morning. <clears throat> the book of Esther. I want you to find chapter number 3. We'll read some verses there, and then we'll also read some verses in chapter number 6. book of Esther, chapter number 3, and chapter number 6. Just a little book here in the Word of God of nine chapters between the book of Nehemiah and the book of Job. You'll find the little book of Esther. And uh, not a lot of preaching done uh, out of this book, but there's great truths and a great typology in the book of Esther. And uh, the Lord began yesterday dealing my heart pretty strongly about this scripture and placed a thought on my heart. And I'll trust the Lord to help us today if you'll pray for us that He'll touch us and give us that unction that we need in order to preach this morning. Esther chapter 3 and chapter 6, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. We'll begin reading in Esther uh, chapter number 3, and we'll trust that the Lord will help us this morning and look in the Word of God together. Esther chapter number 3. And well, let's look this morning. Let me find my place. I think I wrote the wrong. Esther chapter 2, excuse me. Esther chapter 2 and verse 21. In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, Two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth, and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. When inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. 
Then in chapter number 6 and verse number 1, On that night could not the king sleep. He commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants that ministered unto him, then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I thought about these verses here in Esther chapter 2 and Esther chapter 6, and I said already this morning that there's not often a lot of preaching done from this book. Esther is a a different book. The, The name of God is never mentioned in the whole book. But there's great typology and symbolism here of the Lord and His people. Of course, we know that the majority of you probably, if you're a Bible student or a Bible reader, that uh, we read about this king and we're told a little bit about him in chapter number 1 and verse number 1. It said it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. So this was a big king who ruled a big area of land. He had a lot of people that were under his command. Of course we know that the record goes on that he desired for his wife at the time to come in while he met with other men and uh, pleased him and uh, uh, to dance before him uh, which was common custom in that day and she refused to come. And so he put her away. Uh, Then the Bible said that he sent out a a decree through all the land that to bring all the virgins, all the fair maidens in, and he lined them up, and they were all brought in before the king, and whoever pleased him would be chosen to be his wife. Of course, we know that there's a young maiden by the name of Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. She's a Jew. She has no parents. She's been raised by this man by the name of Mordecai. And he's watched over her and took care of her. And it comes her lot to fall in front of the king. Of course, we know the scripture. All of the maidens were took into the king by the king's chamberlain into the king's possessions. And they were given whatever garment they wanted to wear, whatever jewelry, whatever crown whatever shoes, whatever they desired to uh, make themselves appealing in the eyes of the king uh, uh, to be brought in before him. Esther uh, goes in with this chamber and he asked her uh, what she wants. She said, I want whatever will please the king. Whatever the king's chamber appointed unto her, her interest, her desire was that she uh, would please the king. There's great typology there. I believe uh, that every believer that's saved by the grace of God uh, there's something down on the inside of us uh, thank God we have a chamberlain a keeper of the Holy Ghost in us uh, and he 
leads us to desire whatever in our life will please the king. Many people have made wrong choices because they're desiring to please the brethren or to please the church or to please their family. But the main purpose of the child of God is to please the king. And so this Chamberlain gives Esther I think, and it's not in there in specifics, but I think Esther asked what his favorite color was when it come time to pick out a dress or which necklace he liked the best. She wanted everything to be right when she came in before the king. And all of this was in the sovereign plan of God for Esther's life. We, a lot of times in our day, we have a problem with that word, but we ought not have any problem with the word that God's sovereign. That just means he has all power and all authority and that he sees this situation before it ever comes. See, there was going to be a problem that was going to come a few chapters later. There's a man in the land named Haman and he hates the Jews. And Esther is a Jew. But she hides her nationality. It's never mentioned when she comes in before the king. And Haman's going to come up with a plan that not only does he hate the Jews, but he hates Mordecai more than any of the rest. And he's built a noose and built a hangman's gallows and he's going to kill Mordecai and he's going to make it where the king will sign a decree. He's going to fool him into signing a decree that all the Jews in the land will be put to death. And so it's known, and of course we know the Scripture. The Bible said that Mordecai comes to Esther and tells her about what's going to be done. He says, you need to go in before the king and ask for him to help us. She said, I've not been called. If I go in, I'll, I could be put to death in those days. That's how it was. If you went in before the king without being called, if he did not extend the golden scepter to you to allow you to come in, then you were to be taken out immediately and executed because you came when you were not called. And so Esther was afraid. She said, I've not been called for days. He's not sent for me. And he's, Mordecai said, if you hold your peace and deliverance and enlargement will arise from another place. And he said, who knows that you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Or in other words, Mordecai said, God has worked all this out in your life to put you in the place you are to accomplish his purpose in your life. And that's how it is for the child of God. He orchestrates everything in our life to bring us to the place and the purpose that God has for our life. But here in the middle of the scripture, and the Lord really, I feel pretty heavy in my heart this morning to preach this morning about this scripture. The Lord really has put it in me. I was reading here, and the Bible said that Mordecai has uh, saved the king. The king doesn't know. There's a conspiracy between two of his doorkeepers to lay hands on him and kill him. And the Bible said that Mordecai sent to Esther. And Esther brought the news to the king. And it was inquired. And it found out that it was right. And they were both put to death. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. But Mordecai's name was never mentioned. 
And then the, in the chapter 6, the Bible said there's a night the king couldn't sleep. And all that was by the will of God too. And the work of God. And he got up and what he wanted was for them to bring the book and to read to him. And they began to read it no other than the place where Mordecai saved the king. Of course we know the story goes on and God had a great plan and Haman hated Mordecai and uh, the Bible said the king inquired what had been done for Mordecai. They said nothing. He calls Haman in. Haman's real prideful. Haman's a type of the flesh. He, he's real arrogant. And the, the king begins to say what should be done to the man whom the king takes delight in, who loves him, who the king wants to show honor and dignity to. And Haman gets swelled up with pride and thinks it's him. And he says, well, I think they ought to get the king's best horse and put the man on it and have someone take him down the street and inquire until everybody, announce to everybody that this is the man whom the king delighteth. And the Bible said that's good, Haman. Now you gotta remember Haman hates Mordecai, probably greater than anything else. And he said, I want to honor Mordecai. He said, Go get the horse and give him something to wear and put him on the horse. And Haman, I want you to lead him down the street and tell everybody that this is the man in whom the king delighteth. And of course we know that Haman hangs himself and God spares the nation of Israel as God always does. But God used this little girl for such a time as this. But what's on my heart this morning I read into your hearing in chapter number 2 and in chapter number 6 we are told specifically that what happened of this event, this issue that was brought before the king involved the keepers of the door. In verse 21 it says, In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, a big fan and T-Rest, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. In chapter number 6 and verse number 2, and it was found written that Mordecai had told a big T-Rest, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the King Ahasuerus. And I got interested, the Lord began to deal with my heart about these keepers of the door. I began to look it up in the Word of God as the Lord began to direct my thoughts. It's mentioned two different ways in the Word of God. It either says keeper of the door or a doorkeeper. And it was someone who would stand outside the door. And they would literally, if we were to take these words, doorkeeper, from the Hebrew and translate them into English of the way that we would use common everyday language, it means guardian of the threshold. It means that they stood on the outside and they guarded against anything that should not come in or would come in and cause damage or harm to those that were on the inside. Probably the most familiar verse concerning doorkeepers in the book of Psalms where the psalmist David said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that verse meant that he would rather be standing outside the door to the entrance of the house of God and be there with God's people protecting God's things as he would to be inside of the greatest palace that all the world's wickedness could afford to buy. And I got to looking at this 
keeper of the door. And, and how that was their job, their sole job, to keep anything that should not come in from coming in. And here in the Scripture, the very men, the two, that were to stand at the door and keep anything evil from coming in were the very ones who something had went on in their heart and they had decided to allow evil to come into the house. And the Lord got to deal with my heart and I want to ask you a question this morning. I won't be very long and I'll let you go. But the Lord wants me to preach this morning on is anybody keeping the door? Is anybody keeping the door? Now these two men, it was their job. That was their only occupation was to stand outside the door and not allow anything to happen to the king inside. Now I'm not preaching this morning that we're standing guard for God. We're not standing guard for God. He doesn't need any guards. He's take care of Himself. But we are to be on guard in this day against our flesh, against the works of wickedness, against the wiles of the devil, against the snares and the temptations and the sins of this life. We're to keep the door and to not allow anything in that would cause harm and loss. But I'm wondering in these days, is anybody keeping the door? I don't know what it was. All we know that is in verse chapter number 2, it said that they were rough. I don't know what happened. I don't know what made them so bitter that they refused to keep the door. And I'm looking around in these days and I don't know what has happened to the people of God. What has come in our lives to cause us to not keep the door? Is it bitterness that's causing us not to keep the door? Have things not, no doubt, a man of his stature ruling over as many people as he did? Maybe he made a decision that they didn't agree with or done something they didn't want done and it made them so bitter and so angry that they refused to keep the door. Now I'm going to tell you something. It cost them their life for not keeping the door. Now I'm not up here this morning preaching to you that you're going to die for not keeping the door. But I promise you, if we don't keep the door, it's going to cost us some things that we're not willing to lose. It may cost us a price that we're not willing to pay. All because sometimes things don't go our way. And we get upset. I wonder this morning if maybe that there's some brokenness that's caused us or kept us from keeping the door. That we're so hung up in how things didn't go like we thought they ought to go. Now I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm glad to be here. I've been in Alabama all week and my heart's been here. The Lord gave liberty to preach there and I'm so grateful for that. But there's nothing like climbing behind this pulpit and preaching to my people. It doesn't matter to me how few there are or many there are here this morning God has said for me to ask us all together what's keeping us from keeping the door is there some brokenness that's keeping you from keeping the door is there a burden that's keeping you from keeping the door 
that you feel like you can't carry the burden and keep the door at the same time. I got good news for you this morning. If it's a burden that's keeping you from keeping the door, he said, cast all your care on him and he cares for you. Come unto him, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. If it's a burden that's keeping you from keeping the door, give the burden to him and keep the door. See, it's important that we keep the door. It's important this morning that we guard the threshold to not allow things in. And we're living in a generation today where the religious world has become so mixed and blended with the world that we've allowed all kinds of things in and they're causing irreparable harm and loss to the people of God. I believe that's right. And the Lord got to deal in my heart and I'll give you these real quick and then we'll go to the house. I want to know if you're keeping, is anybody keeping the door? And the Lord put three things on my heart. Number one, are you keeping the door of your heart? Are you watching the door of your heart? Solomon said, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. In the Word of God, and we mentioned it maybe last Sunday or Sunday before, and I'm not trying to repeat that, but it's on my heart this morning that Absalom stole the hearts. He didn't steal their mind. He stole their affection, their heart from the King of Israel. And I'm wondering about the people of God this morning. If anybody is keeping the door of their heart, are we guarding our heart? Are we guarding it against looseness? I'm just going to preach what the Lord put on my heart this morning. Are we guarding our heart against looseness? We're in the most loose living Christian day that I've ever seen in my life. I'm not up here this morning preaching to you extra biblical standards, but I'm going to preach to you the Bible. He said to come out from among them and be a separate people, saith the Lord. Be holy as He's holy. Now you and I and our flesh are not holy, but there's a holy one in us that is working holiness in us. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But that is not that we're working to be saved, but that that has been wrought in us should work its way out of us as a testimony of evidence that there has been a great work in us. And I wonder in these days, is anybody guarding their heart against looseness in our day? There are still standards for the people of God. The Lord has not put on my heart to preach anything specific except for the fact that you're to act like the people of God, walk like the people of God, talk like the people of God, dress like the people of God, conduct yourself as the people of God, do business as the people of God, work as the people of God, live as the people of God. Everywhere you go, Sunday to Sunday, you should conduct yourself as the people of God. And we should not leave any gray area. We ought not to have to wear a t-shirt that says I'm saved. And put a bumper sticker on our car and it says I'm born again. But there ought to be enough evidence in our lives and to convict us at trial that we belong to God. Is anybody keeping the door of their heart against looseness? Is anybody keeping the door of their heart against lukewarmness? Somebody quit keeping the door a long time ago. 
And one by one, this lukewarm idea of Christianity has crept in unawares. See, that's what the Bible said. These things creep in unawares. And not only do these things and they don't apply to everything that I say this morning by the help of God. Not only do they creep in unawares, but many of these things are so underestimated as to how much damage they really can do. See, Solomon said it was the little foxes that spoil the vine. We want to concentrate and it goes hand in hand with what was said this morning in the Sunday school hour. We want to concentrate on all them big things and we warn against big things and we keep the door against big things. But what about the little foxes that come in and create looseness and lukewarmness in the hearts of the people of God? Oh yeah. Are we guarding our hearts this morning? Lord, help us this morning. Then I want to know this morning, are we guarding our homes? Are we keeping the door at home? Not just of our own hearts, but of our homes. I'm just preaching what the Lord told me to preach in my heart yesterday. He began to deal with my heart. Are we keeping the door at home? If we're not keeping the door of our heart, we're probably not doing a real good job keeping the door at home. And the Lord wants me to preach next about keeping the door of the house of God. And it's just a revolving door. If we don't keep our heart, we'll not keep our home. And if we don't keep our home, we'll not keep the house of God. It's a domino effect. We've got looseness and lukewarmness in our own heart. It's produced looseness, looseness and lukewarmness in the home, which has produced looseness and lukewarmness in the church. If we don't keep our heart, if we don't keep the home, we're going to lose what we have at the house of God. See, our home is to be a pattern. It's to follow the pattern of Christ and the church. And we're not keeping the home in this day. We're not keeping the door. We're living in a day, and I don't feel led this morning to preach a bunch of statistics, but I'm telling you, in this day, in 2023, more homes end up in a bus than they do abiding and staying together till death do they part. And I'm going to tell you what we've done. Brother Tim taught this morning in the Sunday school and I'm just preaching this morning so it's on my heart. Uh, uh, he taught this morning in Sunday school uh, that there are words uh, that the English language has watered down. Uh, one of them words being sin. One of them words being confessed. I'm going to tell you the word marriage and the word vow has become so watered down in our day. It's a shame and a disgrace. Uh, they treat marriage uh, like it's a test drive. If they don't like that one, they'll trade it in and get another one. I'm not preaching arrogant or mean this morning. I'm telling you somebody along the way quit keeping the door at the house. We've allowed things to come in. We have that and I'm not preaching against it necessarily. I am. But I got one at home too so I'm not being self-righteous. 
But we have that black box in the living room. Most of us got one about in every bedroom. And we turn it on. And many times never give a second thought of what we're allowing to come through the threshold of our home. Let's set our children down in front of it. God help us in the day we're living in that the TV's become the babysitter and the internet's become the babysitter and the smartphone's become the babysitter and the iPad's become the babysitter. They can tell you more about the TV and more about the internet and what they watch on that than they can about the Word of God or even about mom and daddy. Somewhere along the line, we quit keeping the door at the house. Children in our day have no idea about what it is to grow up and when supper time comes, have no idea about sitting down at the table and fellowshipping together as a family. And I'm going to tell you, it all has a direct impact. I know God can do anything He wants to do. But many of these applications and many of these types and allegories and illustrations in the Word of God are so misunderstood or not understood at all because we don't have that fellowship even in our own home. I understand we live in a busy time, but we're too busy. All of us. I said we. I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to you and to me. And we'll go out, we'll run out and grab. Uh, you can tell by the way we uh, talk and the adjectives we use and the word we go grab something and we'll run through the drive through and we'll run to the house and we'll scarf it down and we'll run through the shower and we'll run to the church house and we'll run back to house. I mean, that's how we're in and we're failing to keep the door at the house. And things are coming in. You say, oh, it's not that. That's how it all starts. We, we allow something in and it doesn't seem that bad. And then we accept it and the next thing's a little worse. But because that didn't seem that bad and we've already got acclimated to that, then the next thing don't seem that bad even though it's worse than the thing before. And we'll get acclimated to that and acclimated to the next and the next and the next. And before long, we've got things in the house that never should have been there. That's right. And we're living in a day, and I understand it. We're living in a day where if the preacher preaches on television a little bit, everybody cringes because we're so accustomed to it. We think he's being judgmental and legalistic, but I'm I'm not preaching against you having one. I'm preaching against what ought not be on there that is on there and what not ought be in our houses in front of our children that's coming in every day. We have failed to keep the door at the house. And it goes way farther than the TV. Relationships, attention. We don't give each other attention. I'm telling you, we better thank God that He's God. Because if the, if the relationship, and it does mirror in the Scripture, the, the relationship between husband and wife mirrors the relationship between Christ and the church. And if we treated Christ the way we treat our spouse sometimes, we better thank God that He's God and overlooks all of that. I understand He deals with us, but He loves us beyond all that. We're in a mess. We have failed to keep the door at the house. We're not keeping the door of our... And I just prayed and asked the Lord to tell me what to say. This 
And and I know the world has made it a dirty word, and I'm not interested in all that. But I'm telling you, husbands and wives are to be partners. They're in a partnership. They're in a fellowship. They're in a relationship. So much so that God said they ought to cut ties, I mean as far as that goes, between their mom and their dad, and they join together, and two become one flesh. We're not guarding the home as partners. We let everything else take our time and everything else take our attention. We're not guarding the home. I know I'm preaching right this morning. I'm not trying to be mean. We're not guarding the home as parents. We let our children have all. There's nothing wrong with giving your children good things. But I'm telling you, we ought to train them and teach them. It's the responsibility of the parents to teach the children to come into subjection to authority. And if we're not teaching the reason that, and I'm not saying God has trouble, God don't have no trouble doing anything, but the reason so many people have trouble submitting to the authority of God is they've never been made to submit to the authority of their parents. It won't hurt the child to hear no. It won't hurt the child to be spanked. I know it's not popular in our day and everybody's so against it, but the Bible, you know, I've heard all my life, you spare the rod, you spoil the child. That's not biblical. It's worse than that. Worse than that. God said if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Not spoil them, hate them. There's not true, genuine parental love in your heart if we withhold correction from our children. That's right. We've not kept the door at home as parents. We've not kept the door at home as partners. Now I want to say we're feeling it in the house of God. We've not kept the door here. We've come in with unkept doors of our hearts and unkept doors at the house. And we don't have enough strength to keep the doors at the house of God because we've not kept our heart and we've not kept our house. What goes on in this building is a direct reflection of everything that has went on outside the walls of the building. We come in and we got coldness in the house of God because our hearts are already lukewarm. I'm just telling you, it's a domino effect. If we don't keep our heart, we don't keep our house, it's going to be real hard for us to be expected to keep the door at the house of God. We got coldness. We got a critical spirit. I'm going to tell you, that's done more damage probably than the lukewarm attitude in these days. We won't criticize everybody else. Criticize this one, criticize that one. The majority of the time, the reason we're criticizing is because it pricks us in our heart if we're saved. And we know we ought to be doing what they're doing, but it's easier to criticize what they're doing than it is to crucify our flesh, put aside our pride, and get with them and do what they're doing. It's what happened to Mary in the house when she anointed the feet of Jesus and the whole house of everybody else in the house the disciples of the Lord were being critical of her worship. And they should have been there. And there have been times we might as well get honest. We're, we're in the day where we're so concerned about our image and how we look that we're not willing to get honest with ourselves, honest with each other, and honest with God. I'm telling you, there have been times in my flesh 
I have been critical in the house of God and it's cost me the privilege to worship. (coughs) Maybe they don't do it exactly like you. But if it's in the book, if they're worshiping in spirit and truth, let them alone. That's what Jesus said about her. Leave her alone. We're so critical in the house of God. We're cold. We're complacent. We come in. We feel like we've... And this is... I think we've said this maybe every service for the last few weeks, but it's on my heart again. We come in on Sunday and we check it off and feel like we've done God a service. We're complacent just being in the house. There's more to coming to the house of God. There's more to being the church. There's more to coming to the assembly than just being in the building. The Bible said, forsake not the assembly of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another. But when we come in the building, what goes on in here ought to be direct exhortation for one another. And it ought to be edification, that is, to lift up, to exalt the name of Christ. It ought to be all about Him for the glory of God and the help of one another. And we ought to put everything we got into the house of God. Coming to the house of God ought to be the highlight of the week for the child of God. And I understand we don't have to be in the building. We put a lot of emphasis, overemphasis on the building in our day. We don't have to be in the building. But God has orchestrated it and assembling together. And it's not about the building. I want, I want you to get past the building. I believe that we are. But there is importance to an assembling together of the people of God. In the New Testament church, in the beginning days of the church, they didn't have a building, but they assembled together house to house. They came together as the people of God. They united together in worship and edification and instruction and in a quest to learn of God and to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And they kept the door. They didn't want none of that. And it, that they were guilty of it in their day and we're guilty of it in ours. You can look through the epistles of Paul and see Paul stood by the help of the Holy Ghost and looked and addressed the congregation either by in person or by letter and he said, you've not kept the door. He told the church at Galatia, you've let legalism in, you've let the law in, you've let extra, extra biblical requirements of salvation in. He said, you've not kept the door. And over and over, Corinth, carnality had come in. We're in that day today where carnality is inside the house of God. I just want to know this morning, is anybody keeping the door? That's what the Lord told me to preach. Is anybody keeping the door? These two in this Scripture, there are many other Scriptures, but I kept being... Drawn back to this one, the Lord kept speaking to my heart that these two were so caught up in what they were doing and what they wanted that they failed to keep the door. And it cost them. I'm telling you that this morning that there are days, if we're not careful, we'll be so consumed in what we want, how we want it, what we're doing, where we're going, the busyness of our life, the burdens of our heart, brokenness of situations, bitterness. Because I mean, whatever it is this morning. And it'll keep us from keeping the door. It's going to cost us some things. 
The Lord's been very good to us, and I've made mention of this many times, and I will again this morning. I'm done. The Lord's been very good to us and given us, in ratio of our size, we've got a big ratio of young people and young families. And I'm telling you, the devil wants nothing more than to destroy marriages and homes and families and children. Somebody better keep the door of our own heart. Now, this ain't about, it's done covered this morning. I'm going to cover it again. I'm done. This ain't about us standing back and saying, well, if he'd keep the door, I'd keep the door. That's, that's not the attitude's going to fix anything. It ought to be, oh, Lord, help me. Oh, me, keep my own heart. Lord, help me keep my own home. And Lord, when we come to the house of God, Lord, may we stand guard at the house of God by your help. Is anybody keeping the door? Let's all stand. I'm done. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know if you need to come. I don't really feel real strongly about giving an altar call, but that's between you and the Lord. If you need to come this morning, we'll give you the opportunity to pray. That's between you and God. Maybe you just need to go home and meditate and ponder on the Word of God and what it spoke to your heart. I hope it spoke to your heart this morning through the Spirit of God, not hear me. It's not about me this morning.